0: Excuse me. Um, as Rachel said, I am sick as a dog this morning, and so that's why I've been camping out in the corner. Uh, if you are visiting today, um, I'm so glad you're here. I want so badly to meet you and to shake your hand, but that's not going to happen today. Um, I, I don't want you. I don't want your first experience at Catalyst to be where you get. The flu, uh, and which is what I've been dealing with. Um, and so, if you are visiting with us today, thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you've been made to feel very welcome, and um, and I hope that this worship experience has been amazing for you. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to sit down today. I normally don't sit down to preach, but I'm gonna have to sit down today, uh, and I hope that that's okay with you all. So. We're in part eight of our Luke series today, and it's from Luke chapter six, verse 17 through 26. You only want to turn there. We're going to be there the whole time. And the main thing, like Kevin said, is Satan will always try to get you to trade what you want most for what you can have now. Um, back when Disney uh, made actually good movies, I, I, don't, I don't know if, if you guys know, maybe you old people know that, that back there was a time when Disney was a great company and they made some great stuff, not the Star Wars and everything. That, that's, not, you know, that's not good at all. Their Disney Star, the Disney Star Wars stuff is terrible, as a matter of fact. And I'm, I'm going on record and saying that because it's awful. But uh, The Little Mermaid was a movie that came out and it was all about a mermaid who fell in love with a human and she goes to the witch and she, uh, and she trades her voice and makes a bet, makes a deal with Ursula so that she could, uh, she could become a human for three days. And the... Uh, The the Ursula's song, The Poor Unfortunate Souls. All these people that had made a deal with Ursula, and they were all kind of stuck in her garden. And she kind of captured you. She made a deal, and and then then she uh, uh, captured you. And I can just see the the poor unfortunate souls. And Satan will always try to get you to trade what you want most for what you can have now and and what Satan tempts you with is something that resembles a blessing from God he doesn't tempt you with something that is awful and ugly and terrible he tempts you with something that resembles a blessing from God uh, it's not the actual thing it's watered down it's lesser it is not as quality, um, I, I was told by a pastor that sin is Satan's slimy substitute. Everybody say Satan's slimy substitute, slimy substitute. Okay, it is what what Satan substitutes a, a a something lesser, something not as good for the real thing that God has for you. And every sin that He tempts us with is a quick fix, a quick solution, uh, a trading of what you want most. But what you can have now. Uh, We get in trouble, for example, and instead of working it out and doing it right, we lie. See, the lie was the immediate fix that resembled a real solution, but it wasn't, okay? Uh, We we wanna get married and have kids. Let's say that that's what our goal is in life, get married and have kids. Instead of doing the right work of of courtship and, and honoring God, move in together. Cohabitation resembles marriage but it's not the real thing. Um, we, we, we want to live like the people around us. We see the people around us having things and, and instead of saving up and paying cash <clears throat> excuse me, instead of saving up and paying cash, put it on credit card. See, it looks like prosperity but it isn't. It's Satan's slimy substitute. And in, in each one of those situations, we have traded what we want most for what we can have now. Your biggest mistakes in life will be, the, and have been, and will be, the things you wanted most that you traded for what you can have now. The biggest problems you face in life, hands down, the biggest problems you'll ever face in life will be when you went for the immediate a quick substitute, what you could have now, the substitute for something God put in your heart that you wanted deeply. In the Screwtape letters, Screwtape is a, uh, is a, a demon who is uh, temp- uh, showing another demon how to tempt the human. <clears throat> Screwtape writes that one of his favorite quotes from a human that he had destroyed upon his arrival in hell was, I now see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor even what I liked. Wow. And that made Screwtape, that made Satan so happy that not only was the person in hell, but he got the human to not even do what he wanted in life. Last week, we talked about the one law that no one had broken. Is <clears throat> the law of sowing and reaping. You cannot reap Something you do not sow. You cannot reap something different than what you have sown. If you sow the immediate, the quick fix, you will reap the destruction of that. You cannot break this law. Um, You sow the immediate, you never reap anything else. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says this Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from that flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, and the Spirit will reap eternal life. I was reminded that weeds grow up quicker than grass, that dandelions grow up quicker than fruit trees, and whatever you sow, you will reap. So I want to ask you all this question. Those of you all that are here and joining us online, what do you want most in life? What do you want most? Because the answer to that question is going to determine the course of your life. Now, I've got something really cool here, I've got me some Krispy Kreme donuts, there they are, six donuts of awesome goodness, okay, and let's say, oh man, I can smell them right now, wow, let's say that these donuts represent what I want most in life but I can't have them now. I'm gonna have them off in the future. And that's my goal, this is what I want most in life. Well, what Satan will do is that he will offer something that looks like a Krispy Kreme that I can have now. I mean, it's the same color, right? Roughly the same size, it's edible. See, it's sort of like God's blessing, sort of like what I want most, but I can't have that now. I can have this now. And guys, this is what we deal with every day, and I can't tell you how many of us today are going to trade the donuts for the onion. That's disgusting, (laughs) y'all. Now who in their right mind would take an onion over a donut? You would. I would. We do it every day. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 through 26. Jesus, uh, this is about Jesus. He went down with them And stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. And a great number of people um, from all over Judea. From Jerusalem. And the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. Those who, who had come to hear him. And be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people tried to touch him. Because power was coming from him. And healing them all. Looking at his disciples he said this. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who, will, who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. I'd love it if he just ended it there, <clears throat> but he didn't. He said, but woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. See, Jesus turns everything upside down. He says, listen, you can have the temporary. You can have this you can be well-fed now, you can be wealthy now, you can, you can laugh now, you can have everybody like you now, but it's such a short thing. It's not real, it's a substitute. <clears throat> and Jesus is reframing for us. He's saying, don't ever allow yourself to be satisfied with the quick, with the immediate. He's saying, listen, stop. Falling for Satan's slimy substitute. He says, good news, you won't always be poor, hungry, grieving, and hated. 623, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. That is how the ancestors treat the prophets. Now, before I go any further, because I'm about to say some stuff that's really either gonna really motivate you and you're really gonna love it or you're gonna get mad as all get out, okay? Understand, God does not want you to be poor, hungry, grieving, and hated. He does not want that for you. That is not what he wants. He is saying you're blessed when you're willing to be temporarily uncomfortable so you can be eternally satisfied. Right? He's saying you're blessed when you don't trade what you want most for what you can have now. And we're blessed when we don't fall for the substitute. Now, he has no problem with Christians having money. No problem at all. Because if Christians didn't have money, How could we take care of all the things that need to be taken care of? How could we sponsor orphans? How could we do mission work? We couldn't do anything like that. So don't hear that. Excuse me. In 2006, I took a group of students down to Pascagoula, Mississippi to rebuild homes that had been devastated by Hurricane Katrina. We drove down the coast and saw the foundations of homes like grave markers, Miles and miles and miles. We walked into people's homes. The homes were just skeletons. They'd been completely gutted by the water. We visited with the people living in these run-down FEMA trailers. Praying with these people who'd lost everything. And there was one young man who on the first day after seeing what we saw, after praying with the family, back at the place where we were staying, he wouldn't talk to anyone. He put his head down in his hands and he wouldn't worship with us around campfire. He wouldn't talk to anybody. He'd been so moved by what he saw that he didn't know how to process it. He sat there with his head in his hands and sobbed. And his heart had been broken by the things that break the heart of God. He approached me later that week and he said this, God is calling me to ministry. I can't go on knowing that things like this exist. I'm dedicating my full, my full, uh, full time to serving God and serving people because I never want to see this situation <clears throat> ever again. I ran into him about 10 years later. He recognized me somewhere, I called up my name and I hugged him and told him it was good to see him. I'd ask, what you're doing now? He's a human resources director for a large firm in Atlanta, Georgia. He was telling me about his cruises and his vacations and things he was doing. And as he went on and on, I basically just told him to stop. I'll call him Charlie. Charlie, please stop. You're, you're upsetting me. I said, what happened to you, Charlie? You had a vision. You, I saw that moment where God gave you a precious gift. He gave you a glimpse into what he sees every day. He gave you a glimpse into his heart. He gave you a glimpse, and only for a nanosecond because you couldn't handle anything else. But he gave you a glimpse of what he sees every day, and your heart was so moved. Your heart was broken by the things that break the heart of God, and you were going to do something. You were going to forsake this world and go where you were needed. You were going to minister to people that were broken and hurting and devastated. I said, I was there, Charlie. I saw it. I saw it happen in your eyes. There were 53 kids there. You were the only one that did that. You were so moved. I saw it. And now you spend 40 hours a week making rich men richer, Charlie. He traded his calling you all what he wanted most for what he could have now. Traded what that great thing that God had for him, that there is no money in, there's no prestige in, that there's no comfort in, but he would have received the kingdom as Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And people, you're gonna join him, maybe you already have joined him, unless you take the words of Jesus seriously and take them to heart Satan bought this young man off, got him to leave the battlefield, got him to trade what he wanted most for luxuries he could have now. And you say, well, it sounds like he's doing pretty good. He's wealthy. Isn't that what you want? Is he? Why then did Ralph Waldo Emerson say that most men lead lives of quiet desperation Why does America represent 4% of the population and consume 75% of prescription drugs? How are we doing, people? Are we really doing well? Or are we living a life, trading what we want most, that great thing that God has for us, for what we can have now? Satan will always try to get you to trade what you want most what you can have now. The question I asked earlier, what do you want most in life? My prayer is that every one of you would look at what God has for you, that you would go after that because there's nothing in this world that satisfies like God. Jesus tells us to desire eternity, not to fall for the substitute to stop going after the immediate and what we can have now because only God can satisfy. Only God is the satisfier of our souls. Let's put this in terms that everybody understands. I did some research on this amazingness. Krispy Kreme was founded in 1937 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They have 1,003 locations in 24 countries. When a new Krispy Kreme location opens, they sell an average of 72,000 donuts the first day. Maybe that's why we consume all those prescription drugs. (laughs) Now, this quote is directly from the Krispy Kreme business manual. Check this out. Despite all of the other sensory pleasures... The epitome of the Krispy Kreme experience doesn't come until you get that hot donut in your mouth. Is a Krispy Kreme like sugar-encrusted air? (coughs) (coughs) Yes. 59 cents of pure pleasure? Unbridled ecstasy? Some people devour the hot treat and sigh as the last bite slips down the throat. Some let the powerfully tasty donut possess them. Their heads loll and their eyes roll at the taste. Others have even cried for joy at the taste. Tearing up like a happy bride and groom on their wedding day. That's That's from the actual business manual. Now, you can buy a Krispy Kreme wedding cake You all that are getting married this year. Krispy Kreme wedding cake. Um, You can call any Krispy... We need to do this. You can call any Krispy Kreme store and order the double hundred dozen and get 2,400 original glazed donuts. It's the largest box they offer. Now, knowing all of that information, are you satisfied? No. I'll bet the corporate headquarters won't have a meeting on Monday and say, hey, you guys won't believe this. In Nicholsville, Kentucky, a pastor held up a bunch of our donuts and told his congregation about our stats, about our donuts, about our average sales, our wedding cakes. They're not gonna report that. Those guys at Krispy Kreme exist for one purpose, to get you to do this. This is what happens when we wait for what we want most. I'll tell you what's going on inside of me right now. My entire being is focused on this experience. My eyes are seeing, my my mouth is watering, my nose senses, my taste buds are firing. My stomach is growling. My eyes close. I am pleased and I want more. The same is true when we encounter God, y'all. We move from knowing about God to experiencing him. I really have no idea, guys, how worship services can be boring. Because if you can truly encounter the living God of the universe and remain composed, bored, withdrawn, you're either dead or you haven't tasted, you haven't really experienced. You say, Dave, are you one of those people who emphasizes emotional experiences And when encountering God? Yes, I do if you can enter the presence of living God, like I said, and remain composed, you don't know God. Kingdom of heaven, you all, is going to be filled with people who have tasted and seen that God is good. They look at everything in this world. They look at the substitute and they say, you can have it because what I want most is so much better than what I can have now. And when you taste and see that God is good, when you don't trade, when you don't buy the substitute, when you don't go after Satan's slimy substitute, you find that God is better. He's better. He's more satisfying to me than the air I breathe. He's more satisfying to me than sex. He's more satisfying than food. God is better than Kentucky basketball. God is better than my theology. He's better than my habits. He's better than my addictions. He's better than any possession I could ever have or any job or any relationship or any paycheck or desire. I have tasted and seen that God is good, and I pray that you have two because when you have tasted and seen that God is good you will never want, again fall for the substitute you wonder why you thought the onion was such a big deal you wonder how you ever fell for it you wonder how foolish were you to 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 get this when this was waiting for you You wonder why went for Satan's slimy substitute. You wonder how you could ever have been deceived so badly. I pray that you all are all people that have simply tasted and seen that God is good and that that is what you want most. That God is who you want most and that nothing Satan throws at you could ever distract you from that which you want most. God bless you guys, we'll see you next Sunday, bye bye.